0: When I was in my twenties, I went to Spurgeon's Bible College in London to take classes. I went every week for five years. And each week I passed by the statue of the great man himself, C.H. Spurgeon, who founded the college in 1856 to train pastors. In his lifetime he preached to millions at one of the largest churches in the country, and over 3,000 of his sermons are still widely read today. He was so respected that when he died in 1892, 100,000 people lined the streets of London for his funeral procession. It's no wonder that he's known as the Prince of Preachers. What's less widely known is that he had a lifelong battle with depression. Some of the contributing factors might be uh, the pain he suffered from a number of physical ailments, and then there was the emotional stress of a heavy workload. He also experienced a lot of opposition and criticism being so much in the public eye. But on top of that, it seems he also suffered from a spiritual depression for which there was no obvious reason, a kind of affliction of the soul. And there were times when he felt so low, he could hardly get out of bed. And even quoted Job once, who said he would rather die. I'm sure most people never knew what he went through. In public, he was so confident, so full of wit, so gifted. But in private, he had to battle these feelings. And by his own testimony, the main thing that sustained him was the goodness and grace of God. Perhaps you can identify with Spurgeon. Maybe you've been in that valley of depression, or maybe you're experiencing something like that right now. There's a lot of people today who suffer from mental health issues, uh, from stress or anxiety, and it could be debilitating. It can also be very complex and varies from person to person, which means there's no simple solution. But you need to know it's not something to be ashamed of. It's not a failure of faith. There are countless Christians who, to some degree, wrestle with the same thing, as did a number of the great heroes of faith in the Bible, including Elijah. Spurgeon preached a sermon once called Elijah Fainting, in which he said, We are relieved by discovering that we are walking along a path which others have traversed before us. So in this last message on Elijah, let's take a look at what happened to him and how his experience might help us today. We're going to read from 1 Kings 19. And this is following the great showdown on Mount Carmel, where fire came from heaven. Elijah was vindicated before all the false prophets and all the people of Israel. And then the rain came. After three and a half years of droughts and famine, the heavens opened because Elijah prayed. I mean, what a mighty man of God he must have appeared to all the people. And he must have been on a high because we then see him outrunning Ahab's chariots all the way to Jezreel, the capital where Queen Jezebel was waiting to hear what had happened. And that is when it all came crashing down. Ahab reported to Jezebel what Elijah had done, how he put to death all her prophets. And listen to what happened next. It says, Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow, or in other words, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. The sudden collapse we see here in Elijah is quite shocking. Terry Virgo, when he preached on this, said, Elijah had been bold and courageous, but now fearful and terrified. He'd been preoccupied with God, but now preoccupied with himself. He was standing firm, now he's running scared. He was visible and public, now hidden under a tree. So what caused him to collapse? We're told he was afraid, He feared Jezebel. He feared what she might do. He feared for his life. But the thing is, he'd shown no fear before. He'd already confronted King Ahab when he wanted to kill Elijah. He stood alone against 850 false prophets. He seemed fearless on Mount Carmel. So what happened? Elijah had been listening to God's voice before. He only did what God told him. Time and time again, it says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah and he arose And he went. He trusted God's word. He knew where he was going. He knew that God was with him and that God would provide for him. And yet here we find Elijah running away, running for his life into the wilderness on his own. God hadn't spoken. God hadn't told him to do that. Elijah finds himself in the wilderness, not wanting to live anymore. Because instead of waiting and listening for God's voice, he listened to the voice of the enemy. Jezebel's words came with a power that penetrated his heart. And this wasn't just an angry woman speaking. Behind her threat was all the fury of hell. And yet, it was still just a threat. Elijah could have quoted Psalm 23, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Because of God's presence, the threat of death, or any kind of evil, was just that, a threat. It's like a shadow. Right? The shadow of death cannot harm you any more than the shadow of a lion can harm you. But when we lose sight of God, it can seem very real to us. And fear and anxiety can grip our hearts. But I think another reason why Elijah became full of fear when he should have been full of faith was he was vulnerable. I mean, think of everything he'd just been through. You know, the emotional stress of confronting Ahab, standing against the false prophets in front of the whole nation of Israel, the exhilaration of seeing fire come from heaven, then praying intensely for the rain to come and running ahead of Ahab's chariots all the way to Jezreel. I mean, he must have been totally exhausted, don't you think? Physically and emotionally exhausted. He'd given everything. He had nothing left. So when Jezebel's words came, he was vulnerable. Not only did he fear for his life, he allowed himself to become isolated, he became depressed, so much so he wanted to die, which of course is exactly what the enemy wanted. And we need to understand that as Christians, we also have an enemy, the same ancient enemy as Elijah, an enemy who hates God and breathes out threats against his servants. It says he's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But he's cunning, and will wait for those times when we're vulnerable, when we're most susceptible to his threats and temptations. I'm sure you must know yourself when you are most vulnerable. And often it's when we're stressed or tired. That might be because we're busy, you know, that we don't get adequate sleep or days of rest. And so we risk burnout. It might be because we're not taking the time to uh, build up our inner man, you know, where we spend time receiving from God, listening to his word, worshipping, abiding in him. You know, if we keep giving out to others without feeding our own souls, we'll end up running on empty. And on the surface, everything may seem fine for a while. But what we don't realise is that underneath, a sinkhole is forming, and at any time there could be a collapse. You know, I can think of times in my own life when I know I've been running on empty, and it's only the grace of God that I didn't collapse. Right, I look back now, and I know I was very vulnerable. Could that be a danger for you? There are often signs that can indicate emotional exhaustion. We see, you know, Elijah displaying some of them in this chapter. Like when fear creeps into your life or you find yourself running away from things. Uh, You isolate. You make impulsive decisions. You complain and want to quit. You sink into self-pity. You have suicidal thoughts. If you found yourself experiencing those things, can I urge you not to isolate or withdraw, but to talk to someone about it. Again, there's no shame in it. These are things that many of us wrestle with. Even Elijah recognised that when he said, I'm no better than my fathers. But I want us to turn now to look at God's response in this story, because I think it will help every one of us when we find ourselves in Elijah's situation. So let's see what happens next, reading from verse 5. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. What we see here is the goodness and grace of God. And this is how he treats each one of us. Like it says in Psalm 103 as a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for us. For he knows how we're made, he knows how weak we really are. So the first thing we see in God's response is he allowed Elijah to sleep. He didn't respond with anger or by rebuking Elijah. He didn't condemn him for uh, feeling the way he did. He didn't even answer his prayer that he may be allowed to die. In fact, it's the only prayer of Elijah's that God didn't answer. Because at the end of his life, he was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. He never did die. And thank God that in his kindness, he doesn't answer all our prayers. Why? Because he loves you and he knows what is best for you. And on this occasion, what was best for Elijah was to just let him sleep. He was emotionally, physically exhausted. And sometimes, the most spiritual thing we can do is to take a nap. The next thing we see here is that God sends an angel to give him food and water. And again, this just shows us the amazing grace of God towards his children. Even when we're wayward, You know, we saw earlier in Elijah's story how God provided for him day after day, sending ravens to give him food. But that was when Elijah was walking in obedience with God, following his direction. Here, he's running away. God never told him to do that. And yet God, in his grace, pursues him into the wilderness and still provides him with food. And not from ravens, but from an angel. I mean, what did he do to deserve that? Nothing but sometimes it's when we're at our lowest, when we're drifting from God and making a mess of things, that's when we experience God's grace the most, because it's when we need his grace the most. And God, in his compassion, meets us where we're at. Why? Because he loves you. It reminds me of when the disciples abandoned Jesus when he was arrested, and like Elijah, they all ran away in fear for their lives. And then after the crucifixion, they went fishing no doubt, depressed, confused, guilt-ridden. And where do we find the risen Lord Jesus? Cooking his disciples breakfast over hot coals on the beach. You need to know that whatever you've done, right, whatever you may be running from, or how far you've drifted or fallen, Jesus is waiting for you, full of grace, full of compassion. He will never give up on you. Why? Because he loves you. Now, I've no idea why Elijah felt compelled to go to Horeb, the Mount of God, also known as Mount Sinai. He set off all by himself into the desert, heading for that mountain where God had once made a covenant with his people, that they would be his people and he would be their God. And it was that covenant that the people in Elijah's day had broken when they turned to other gods. So was Elijah going back to where it all began, maybe looking for answers? Uh, Was he looking for reassurance from God? We don't really know. God hadn't left Elijah, he was tending to his needs. But maybe Elijah no longer felt God's presence in the way he used to. And we can all find ourselves in that place, you know, where there seems to be a kind of cloud obscuring God's presence. And it might be because of our own sin and failings. It might be because of fear and anxiety. It might be down to stress or weariness. Or well, there may be no obvious reason. But deep down, we all have a need to feel God, to know God, to experience God, because it's what we were created for, to have communion with him. Maybe Elijah was longing to experience God's presence in the way that Moses had done on that same mountain years before. Whatever it was, God was gracious to reveal himself there. So let's see what happened next on that mountain. Reading from verse 9. Then he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, and left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. So how did God respond in this part of the story? The first thing is he allows Elijah to vent, to unburden himself. And being the great counsellor that God is, he asks Elijah a question to get him to talk. Why are you here, Elijah? And then he listens as Elijah, full of self-pity, tells God all that he's done for him, how he's the only one left standing for God in Israel, which was not actually true, and how they were seeking to kill him. He's upset, he's angry, he's disappointed. And God, who is compassionate and understanding, he doesn't rebuke him, he doesn't correct him, he just lets him vent. You know, maybe God is saying to you today, why are you here? Why are you in this situation? How will you answer him? You might express sorrow. You might tell him about your disappointments. You might even vent to him and let off some steam. And God wants you to talk to him, right? It's okay to express your frustrations and tell God how you feel. God can handle it. He already knows how you feel. He's not going to be shocked. But he invites you to talk to him because he knows it will help you. He is the best counselor and he will listen to you. Right? He's got all the time in the world. He will listen until you run out of words. Why? Because he loves you. Then God told Elijah to go outside his mountain cave and stand before the Lord. And I don't know if you know this, but Elijah didn't go outside right away. Maybe he was still hurting, still angry, still stuck in self-pity. So what was it that drew him outside his cave to stand before the Lord? It wasn't the things that we associate with God's presence on Mount Sinai. You know, the wind, the earthquake, the fire. When God first spoke to his people on that mountain, the whole mountain shook. But on this occasion, God wasn't in those things. It wasn't how he revealed himself to Elijah. Instead, it was a gentle, quiet whisper, like when God whispers into your soul. And it speaks of intimacy, of God's gentleness and love. That's what drew Elijah outside the cave, It's how God often draws each one of us. Not in the sting of rebuke, being told what you're doing wrong, not in a fiery sermon calling you to repent, Now, repentance may come, but it's often in response to the whisper of God's love. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And that's what causes our hearts to turn back to him. He draws us with cords of love. That's what drew Elijah out of the cave. And as he stood before the Lord, God asked him again what he was doing there. Though I'd like to think that this time God spoke in that gentle whisper. And Elijah repeated his complaints and his concerns. Same words though I suspect maybe a little softer this time. And yet again, we see an amazing, gracious response from God. And when you read for yourself what happens next, you'll see that God doesn't give up on him. He gives him purpose. He doesn't correct Elijah. He commissions him. He tells Elijah he's still got work for him to do. He is still the Lord's prophet, and he wants him to go back the way he'd come, retrace his steps, but this time trusting the Lord and doing what God asks of him. He was to anoint the future king of Judah and the future king of Israel and also the man who was going to succeed him, Elisha. And again, it reminds me of how Jesus restored Peter after Peter had denied knowing him three times and no doubt was full of shame. Three times Jesus asked him a question, Do you love me, Peter? And then each time he commissioned him, Feed my sheep. You know, God is so gracious with us, so full of love. He never gives up on us. He has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. And I know that God is speaking to people as they listen to this message today. Maybe drawing you back to himself, asking you questions, whispering into your soul, renewing you in his love. Perhaps you've been drifting or running away from things. Perhaps you've withdrawn from people, from the church, Listen, God will not let you go. He loves you too much. His goodness and love pursues you. It's the love of God that drives out fear in our lives. It's the love of God that disperses those clouds of despondency. And even if you find yourself in that valley of depression, it's the love of God that will hold you and sustain you. He will never leave you or let you go. God is drawing close to you, even now. Will you yield your heart to him? Maybe he'll give you a clearer perspective on things. At the end of this story, the Lord says to Elijah, Oh, and by the way, I have 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal, so you're not alone after all. The truth is, whatever the issues are that cause us concern, we don't see the whole picture. But God is quietly and patiently at work in the hearts of men, even as he's at work in our own hearts right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your amazing love and grace. Thank you for pursuing us and for being patient with us. And I pray that you will draw our hearts to you right now. May we hear your quiet whisper in our souls. Lord, please renew us in your love. And may we know afresh your commissioning, that in spite of our weaknesses and failings, you don't give up on us. You have work for us to do. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now here are some questions for group discussion. First, in what ways can you see yourself in this story? Share with one another. Secondly, what did you hear today that helped you the most? Thirdly, what do you think God is whispering to you right now? Each one share. And then pray for one another.